Welcome to the Quadcast, a Yale Divinity School podcast series focusing on issues related to religion, culture, and politics. In this episode, Emily Judd interviews Joel Baden, who is Yale Divinity School professor of Hebrew Bible and the director of the Center for Continuing Education. Professor Baden argues that professors have a responsibility to share their knowledge beyond students in the classroom. There's a real service to sort of translating academia into a public discourse. He defends his critical scholarship of the Bible and speaks out about what he calls scholarly evangelicalism. Biblical scholarship really does isn't say, here's what everybody else should believe. That's like scholarly evangelicalism in its way, you know? And Professor Baden reflects on the biggest changes he has witnessed at Yale Divinity School since joining the faculty 17 years ago. It's a young, vibrant faculty, and it is like blessedly and wonderfully diverse. You are the director of the Center for Continuing Education at Yale Divinity School, which offers a wealth of resources, events, online lectures, summer programs, publications that all enable and enrich ministry and lay learning. It was actually founded in 2019 under your leadership and is a great resource, I find, for alumni like myself who want to continue their learning post-degree. So what was the need that you were responding to when you conceived of the idea for this type of center? The center is, in my mind at least, um, partly designed for people like you, that is alumni who want to continue learning, and partly, maybe even mostly, designed for people not like you who never had the chance to go to YDS in the first place. The number of people in the world who are interested in the kinds of stuff that we think about and and teach about and learn about here uh, vastly outweighs the number of people who could ever possibly attend, whether, you know, for space reasons or financial reasons, it's or not living anywhere near here. So the, the aim of the center really is to sort of turn YDS to face outward, to make available to the public for free as much as possible to make, uh, you know, to make, to make available to everyone, uh, both the, you know, the, the knowledge of our faculty, but also the kinds of resources that we've accumulated over the many, many years here without taking away from the experience of the people who do get to be here. Cause there's obviously something very special about being at YDS in person, but there's so much benefit to be gained from what this place has to offer. And I feel pretty strongly that everybody should have access to it. Yeah, I know for me, actually, what I've been using it for is to fill in the gaps for classes that I wasn't able to take (laughs) Mm -hmm. when I was a student. So as an alumna living far away from New Haven, and um, I didn't actually get a chance to take Old Testament interpretation when I was at YDS. So my favorite resource that's been offered by the Center for Continuing Education is the virtual Bible study, which features these free mini courses with professors like yourself, John Collins. And I'm not alone because the Bible study videos have received over 330,000 views. So I'm wondering what was the impact actually of COVID on this virtual Bible study and and the center at large? Um, Because I know it was launched uh, pre-COVID and Mm pre-distance learning, but was there, you know, a huge spike when when COVID happened? The Bible study videos that you're talking about started well before COVID. Um, 
you know, it really 2012, something like that, uh, maybe even earlier, before the center was founded, we started recording these Yale Bible study uh, videos, these sort of short uh, conversations between faculty members, um, which are super fun to make uh, and seem to be really uh, well-liked, as, as, as you noted. Uh, so those were going on, you know, with the idea being if you've got a local you know, your local church wants to do a Bible study on whatever topic, and here's a resource that you can use to sort of guide your conversations. But other than that, pre-COVID, everything else was in person. COVID hit pretty soon after the center launched, right? 2019 is when it launched, and obviously 2020 is when uh, the world shut down. So simply to have what to do with ourselves, you know, having just started the center, we, we, we pivoted uh, pretty hard to putting everything online. Well, okay. So what if we do a, uh, what if, what if we put the youth ministry lectures, what if we do those online? We've got people from virtually every country that have tuned into something. Um, and we can get hundreds of people at events online in a way that we never could in person. So it's been really great. You know, you, you've, you talked about 330,000 people or whatever it is watching the Yale Bible studies. Uh, well, that's a lot more people than can, than have ever walked through the doors of YDS, you know? And speaking of online, so Yale Divinity School recently launched its first ever online certification program, which is under the auspices of the Center for Continuing Education. Can you share a little more about that? What is being offered there? The online certificate program is, um, this comes out of the Youth Ministry Institute project. The majority, really probably the vast majority of people who in churches who are doing youth ministry are not trained formally as youth, you know, in, in the practice of youth ministry. Um, it's often something that a volunteer takes on or a part-time, you know, a part-time clergy person takes on, um, but there are very few places even in, in the world, really, that, that do formal training in, in what matters for youth ministry, the, the specifics of it as a, as a practice. Uh, so we really wanted to sort of fill that void and offer a program that isn't just, you know, well, here's a resource here and there, but is a really thought out, uh, in this case, year-long, um, you know, deep dive into what it takes to be an effective, to run an effective youth ministry program. And that includes things like, you know, thinking about how church systems work and also thinking about social justice issues and also things like, you know, teen uh, and youth psychology. And, and so, you know, all of these relatively complicated issues that actually go into the thing. Um, so the certificate program allows anybody uh, to sign up and, and, and get, a, like I said, a, a deep dive of learning into the ins and outs of youth ministry. My hope is that we will be uh, developing uh, like a prison ministry certificate program so that, again, I mean, folks who really don't have the opportunity to be at YDS can still benefit from uh, and, and, and get, you know, get something in writing, not just I took a course, but a, a real certificate with uh, interaction with faculty that, that really means something. You've devoted a lot of your time and energy to educating people outside of Yale and outside of academia, let's say. Why is continuing education so important to you personally? The world of academia is lovely. I make my home here. But it only does a thing, academia, if it talks to people outside of itself. 
Otherwise, it's just a bunch of nerds uh, sitting in a circle, uh, you know, arguing with each other, which is fun. Um, but, uh, but, you know, are we really like, doesn't really move the ball down the field. Speaking to the, the wider public, I think, is what gives our work meaning to a certain extent. Uh, you know, I can, I can also say I've got like, my, you know, my father worked in continuing education. So like, it's sort of like, it's in my genes as a thing that, you know, I think matters. Um, uh, but it's also something that has, has changed for me over time. I think it was often the case when I first started in academia, I was like, I'm just going to know more about this thing and say neat things to, and publish books that, you know, cost $150 and nobody can ever read. Um, and you know, are full of other languages. Uh, cause that's, you know, that's a lot. I mean, I think a lot of people get into academia because they like really love their topic, which is definitely true for me. Like the reason I do this is because I think that the stuff that I study is super interesting to me. Um, but at a certain point, I don't know, maybe it's post tenure, but like at a, at a certain point it's like, Oh, probably there's something more to this than just, it's fun for me. Um, and so, yeah, I think that, I think that there's uh, I don't know if there's, I don't think it's an obligation. I don't think that everybody has to do it. Uh, but I think that those who, who can and want to, uh, there's a real service to sort of translating academia into a public discourse. Speaking of what your exact focus is, um, you're a professor of Hebrew Bible at YDS and your insights and popular writings have been subject to criticism every now and again. I actually saw one of your responses to a critic on Twitter where you stated, and I can't remember what the exact criticism was, but you stated, I'm a biblical scholar, not a preacher. I don't teach the word. I teach about the word. What is the most challenging part of being a biblical scholar? And what is your response to someone who says that critical biblical scholarship is a threat to faith? The hardest part is coming up with like witty retorts like that as often as I need to. Uh, That's a good one. <laughs> no, I, you know, it's, um, I, I don't know, look, the, the things I say on Twitter or the things that people, not even the things that I say, the things that other people say on Twitter, I don't know that I'd count them as critics or criticism, just because Twitter is a cesspool of humanity. Um, but, it says somebody who's on there. Um, uh, but I would say that, you know, one of the real challenges is that um, uh, people use the Bible in ways that, are unlike any other book. I think that's maybe self-evident, but uh, people care about it and people use it as like the, like the backstop for whatever it is that they want to be professing in the world. So, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're on the right or the left or like liberal or conservative or um, whatever it might be. Uh, everybody's like, look, but the Bible upholds my position and they like, you know, wave a text around or like, um, whatever it is. Uh, and what that means is that people are like much more attached to what the Bible says or means than, uh, any other book really probably ever. Uh, and it, I, I don't know that it's my job to correct anybody and be like, no, it doesn't really say or mean that. Uh, but I think it is my job. And I, I, this is true 
when I'm teaching in the classroom here. It's true when I'm speaking publicly. It's true on Twitter. Um, uh, I think it is my job to be like, actually, uh, everybody's take on the Bible is, is you know, comes from whoever they are. So to anybody, anybody who sits up and says, you know, this is what the Bible really means is really just saying something about themselves more than they're saying something about the Bible. And, you know, to your question, which is like, like what, what my response to people who say that biblical criticism is a, is a challenge to faith, like it's definitely, it's only a challenge to faith uh, if your faith is like deeply contingent on your interpretation of the Bible, not only being right for you, but being right for everyone at all times and all places. And what biblical scholarship really does isn't say, here's what everybody else should believe. That's like, that's like scholarly evangelicalism in its way, you know? Um, it's, it's to say, you know, here's the range of things that it might mean, and here's the range of ways that it has been read, and here's what it might have meant once. And isn't it interesting that that's not what we think it means now? And why is that? With my students here in the introductory class, uh, honestly, if I could boil down the entire like year-long class to one sentence, it would be: as long as you walk out of here, think you know, recognizing that the things that you uh, think about the Bible or believe about the Bible uh, are more specific to you than to the Bible, then I've I've basically done my job, right? The thing I teach most often and most strenuously actually is like, well, what did the Bible mean when it was written? I teach that stuff because it's like, oh, so you can see that what it meant to its authors or its earliest readers or the context in which it was composed is different from how we take it now. It shouldn't then be like, well, which one of them is right? It's like, oh, I realize that in fact, that means that what it means is always contextual. And isn't that interesting? Yeah. I, I remember actually asking John Collins, Professor John Collins, a similar question when we had our first season of the quadcast about, um, you know, if, if biblical scholarship uh, negatively impacts faith in some way. And I remember he said, uh, it does for people who never investigated their own beliefs, basically. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. um, so yeah, that's a, that's a, a, pith, a pithier way of saying what I just said. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If, if someone's been, um, conditioned or, um, you know, are just parroting something and never investigated it or, um, looked at the historical context. I remember in 2016, when I first, uh, joined YDS as a MAR student, we actually watched a, a lecture series for of you um, speaking about the Babylonian uh, flood story and mm. how it preceded the flood story in the Bible. And actually, you know, I was shocked <laughs> because I really, unfortunately, I had no um, biblical studies mm -hmm. really before. Um, but it just made me want to investigate more. Um, so I think hopefully that's what biblical studies, biblical sh scholarship should make people want to do. Yeah. Um, you joined the YDS faculty in 2007. And 17 yeah. years later, what is the biggest change that you've witnessed at YDS? The biggest change, and quite honestly, the best change, is uh, the makeup of the faculty. Um, now, it's so long ago that I don't know that I could truly like recreate what the faculty was exactly like when I got here. But I will say it was to put it 
briefly, it was older and it was whiter. And it was probably maler. Um, and, you know, over the last 10 years or so, uh, really the faculty has changed so dramatically. Some of that is just generational, right? Like um, when I came in, there were a lot of older faculty who have retired in, you know, over, over the last, uh, over the last few years, uh, or more, uh, I mean, t- to the point that now I'm something like the fourth or fifth longest tenured faculty member at the institution, which is ridiculous because I'm not that old. Um, I just happen to have been here a long time, I guess. Uh, but it's, you know, it's of young, vibrant faculty and it is like blessedly and wonderfully diverse which means that the kinds of things that we're teaching and the kinds of experiences that we're having on campus just is so much more interesting. Uh, you know, the students, the faculty now ref- looks more like the student body, which is really good. Um, yeah, it's just a, it's a much more vibrant, interesting place. And and in this, you know, what I'm about to say really is a generational thing, but the, you know, the the idea of what it is we're doing here uh, has shifted with the with the younger generation. You know the kinds of the kinds of learning that happened, uh, the kinds of styles of teaching, uh, certain you know dedication to. Uh, I mean, I think dedication to the world outside of academia is is different now than it w- was before. Um, so yeah, the faculty is like so so good right now. That's great. That's great to hear. And it's um, like you said, it's amazing how it's reflective of the the student body, which is important. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. My pleasure.